I'm Stephen. And I'm Kevin. And in today's episode of the Stephen and Kevin Show, we're going to talk about review meetings with millennials with our special guest, Paul Sullivan from the New York Times. How to use Twitter for prospecting. And the top reasons the affluent fire their financial advisor. So our first question today on the Stephen and Kevin show is from at Mr. Justin W. Smith. And his question is, I love your thoughts on review meetings with millennial clients, how they differ or should differ from older clients. Oh, I like that question. Thank you, Justin. Um, Yeah. And good timing on this one. We knew this in advance. So we, and we were thinking, uh, gosh, what a great piece we saw last week from Paul Sullivan in the New York mm-hmm. Times. Uh, the title of this uh, this article was Work-Life Balance Poses Challenges Regardless of Wealth. And you might be thinking, what's the connection here between that and review meetings with millennials? But we're talking about a busy group of people. Absolutely. We're talking about millennials, Gen Xers with money. They're some of the busiest people you'll find with kids with work with everything that they have going on uh so we think it's perfectly applicable uh we're we're big fans of uh paul sullivan's work by the way in addition to writing for the new york times he's written for the financial times for fortune for money he's written a couple of books uh a great a guy to follow if you want to know more about people with wealth and paul was nice enough to join us for today's Stephen and kevin show paul welcome to the show thanks guys thanks for having me on speaking of work-life balance the articles, the books, yeah, the travel, you, the speaking. Where do you find the time? <laughs> yeah, you must be pretty busy. <laughs> My Labradors, they keep me grounded. There you go. <laughs> and the power of social media. I saw you have three of them. Yeah, you're right. Uh, now, you know, it's one of the things, that the takeaway from my column uh, on Saturday was really, you know, it's a secret, but it's no secret. It's, it's maniacal organization, uh, which can get exhausting at times. I mean, who, who, who among us doesn't remember our carefree days, you know, late teens, early 20s, you kind of strolling, sitting in the park, reading all oh, the papers. We paper. miss those days. Yeah. God, man, do I ever miss those days, you know? Right. Um, but, you, you, you know, you, my wife works, I work, you know, we have the dogs, we had a couple kids. Uh, you know, the only way to make it work is, is this extreme organization. And I found that, you know, most of the people um, who practice this, you know, they don't choose it so much as they succumb to it. I mean, we sort of try every other option, and then we realize, okay, this is the only way it's going to make it work. You know, the only way we can balance our our work life, our our home life, our, our relationship life, our child, you know, relationship with our children, and of course, you know, planning for you know our retirement. How are we saving? How are we spending? All of this is you know this maniacal organization, which you know. It's not always joyous and fun, but it's effective, and uh, you know, hopefully, it keeps the uh, train on the tracks. Well, exactly, and you know, uh, most of our clients, Paul, are financial advisors—a space that you know intimately well. It, what, what advice do you have for that audience on, you know, getting on these busy people's calendar? Be short, be mm-hmm. short, and be concise. And you know, unfortunately, the 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 day of the the, the long talk that goes on and on and on, uh, we don't have that. We don't have time for that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes my advisor calls up, and I love the guy. He's great. But I almost wish he'd just shoot me an email mm-hmm. uh, or just, you know, cut to the point. I mean, I like the guy. He's managing our money. He's advising us on, on big decisions. You know, I was in the car 
uh, last week with a, a friend of mine who, who has his own technology company. His wife is a consultant. And we're driving somewhere, and all of a sudden, you know, the phone rings, and he answers it, and it's this guy uh, who provides him some research. And the guy called simply to say, uh, thank you, and have a good weekend. This is before Columbus Day weekend. And I was impressed at how quick and efficient this guy was. And it was a 30-second call, and it planted in my friend's head, like, hey, I, I like this guy who does research for me. And that was it. And this guy was probably, I guess, banging out, you know, 100 calls in an hour, each 30 seconds, getting on people's radar, you know, efficient, reminding them, but most importantly, you know, not wasting my friend's time. And, and that's essential. We don't have a lot of time to waste. Yeah, that's great stuff. So being very conscientious of their of their time, I love that. Um, what do you think about the idea of even if you hold a review meeting, doing it via, you know, a WebEx or a Skype or something like that, where it doesn't always have to be in person? Yeah, I mean, that's the toughest thing. And even, you know, my wife works in financial services. As you guys said, I, I write about wealth. I know yeah. a decent amount about this. Uh, and, you know, when we get our, our financial plan, we get it to review. You know, I'm better than most people, but I'm not great. It sits mm -hmm. on my desk for a long time, and, and I know what I should be doing. I, I know, you know, <laughs> the downsides if I don't pay attention to this. But it, it's kind of like that thing on your calendar that keeps you just keep moving it, you know, a day forward, thinking yeah. you get to it tomorrow. Uh, if, you know, I almost think, you know, the, the advisor has to take charge and I don't want to say, you know, treat, <laughs> treat the client like a kid, but, you know, take the client and say, okay, here are the highlights. Here are the important things. You know, what has changed here? Has any of this changed? You know, how have your assumptions changed? We, know, we noticed that you are, you know, you said you were going to contribute, you know, X, you're contributing actually 1.5x. That's great. Or you said you're going to contribute x. You're only contributing half x. That's not so good. You need to really get in there and 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 get in the person's head. And you know any smart person is going to respond to that. But it's a, a little uh, I guess sort of benign nagging. <laughs> no, I get it, Paul. I'm with you, and I'm in the same boat. I need the nagging myself. And I think one of the tendencies we see with advisors. They mean well, and, and they know that, let's say you've got a millennial or a Gen X client who's perfectly on target with their goals. They're great savers. You know they're busy, and at times you say, well, there might not need, be a need to get together. Every time I try to track them down, it's hard to get a hold of them. Right. Uh, but we think that's a big mistake. We think these review meetings need to happen, whether it's in person, which, by the way, we have uh, – our, our most recent data said 33% would like to meet face-to-face, 25% by phone, mm -hmm. and kind of down from there. But uh, the conversations need to happen. You know, uh, look, I, I'm in my uh, early 40s, and, you know, I'm a bit of a cliche in this, but our advisor belongs to a, a nice golf course. I like to play golf, you know, once a summer. Uh, he and I will go out and play golf, and we'll talk, and then my wife uh, will meet us for lunch afterwards. And it's an enjoyable day, but it's also an efficient day. And mm -hmm. I, I know, you know, studies say you got to meet with somebody every quarter or, right. you know, touch base once a month. That's a, that's a lot. You know, you can accomplish, you can be very efficient once or twice a year as long as the person is, is staying on track. And, you know, somebody else, it may be, you know, they want to be communicated by social media or, they, they, you know, you want the advisor just to, to come to where you work and have coffee with your advisor and, and do that. It's a lot. I think the advisor has to, you know, make himself available and be very mobile to go to that uh, that client because none of us really care anymore about going into a, a, a beautiful office with leather chairs, wood panel walls, have coffee, <laughs> have a, you know, 
right. is passe. You know, the, the advisor's got to be mobile and he's got to be going to people and meeting them, you know, where they want to be met and, and, you know, thinking on the fly so that they accomplish what they need to accomplish, you know, whether it's, you know, over coffee, uh, taking a bike ride or, you know, having lunch after golf. So a, a takeaway here, Paul, could be to, to basically brainstorm with your clients about when when is the best time to meet? When is the most what's convenient the most effective time for, way for us to talk? You know, yeah. what's the most effective way for us to talk? I mean, what do you do in a, a relationship? You know, you have your wife. You know, well, would it be great to sit down and have a, a nice meal, open a bottle of wine, and chit-chat? Sure. It would be you know, ideal, last night, right? my wife and I, <laughs> Yeah. Last night my wife and I caught up. I was on our treadmill, and she was on our elliptical. And we were, you know... <laughs> Chatting and yep. getting a little bit of exercise. It's you know, did I imagine we'd be doing this ten years ago? No, but it, but it, but it works. Yeah, today's quality time is a little different. Yeah, and that mechanical yeah. communication, Paul. That's what you're talking about. That mechanical communication that doesn't necessarily need to happen. No, I mean, what, you know, it, it's just it's almost a burden. Yeah. yeah, it's almost a burden to think, okay, shit, I got to meet this guy. I got this lunch. I got to do this, but I got a million other things, and mm-hmm. you know. If you're like, I got young kids. Uh, if given a choice of uh, having a, you know, spending two hours in a stuffy lunch, or doing something with my kids for two hours, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose my kids. But yeah. you know, can I do something late at night at nine o'clock? You know, will my advisor talk to me at nine o'clock when my kids are going to bed and I have sort of an hour of downtime? That would be fantastic. That mm-hmm. would be very helpful to me. You know, can my advisor be, you know, super concise so that. You know, I know what I need to know. I mean, if we have an advisor, you have to give up some level of control. You have to trust that the person knows more than you do uh, on some crucial things uh, in investing and planning. And if that person doesn't know more than you do uh, in crucial areas of investing and planning, you should find a different advisor. Right. Because, yeah. We, you know, we can't do everything uh, ourselves. <laughs> I mean, I choose to hire somebody to cut my lawn. Why? Because my time is more valuable than the cost of you know, paying that guy to mow my lawn. Would I like to mow my lawn? Yeah, why not? It'd be, it'd be nice. Yeah. You know, I get an hour to myself, but it's just not, it's not possible. Right. Hey, you hit on something earlier, Paul, that I want to take off on, and, and that is uh, you know, the nature of the, the relationship has changed over the years. That, you know, if you're a senior today, if you're 70 plus, you're, you were, at least at some point, used to dealing with a financial advisor that was a buy and sell philosophy. It was all about the investments, whereas now the relationship has broadened. It's more comprehensive in nature. And I think this is especially important for the younger set of clients. If they come into what we feel like is a very boring review meeting every time where we're talking just yes. about performance, yes. how your investments are doing, then we make a little chit-chat and move on, I don't have a lot of time for that. Same old, same old. But if you're yeah. saying, Stephen, you know, this meeting we want to cover off on uh, just to make sure you're protected from an insurance perspective. This time we want to talk about your wills and trust and make sure we line you up with a great attorney for this. Then, then I'll make a little more time for it. You're I mean, talking about the concept of themed review meetings. Sure. I, I love that. Hey, yeah, and if you're a millennial, you're pretty confident, and you're going to think, okay, I can probably figure out a lot of this on my own. Whether or not that's true, uh, that's your belief. Uh, and so you're thinking, okay, I can automate all this, do this, buy a bunch of index funds or ETFs, save on fees. Well, maybe you can. And maybe you're disciplined enough to set it and forget it. But if you're that advisor trying to get to that millennial, you need to be talking to him more about the qualitative stuff. You know, okay, you, you don't care if I can outperform the index, but you know, here's some advice I can give you. You need to be saving X amount of, of dollars a month to get to your first goal, which is buying an apartment or a condominium, okay? Your second goal is 
uh, to, to have a, whatever, a, a nicer car. You know, whatever your goals are, work it through and, and really break it down so the client can understand. And then on the flip side, you know, hey, you just gave me your credit card bills for the last six months. Uh, you're making uh, good money here, but what can you cut back on? You're spending an awful lot. You're, you're, you're not in debt. You, you've got plenty of income, but I, you could be saving a lot more, and I think your life would still be just as enjoyable. Those are those type of qualitative conversations that, you know, go beyond the stock picking and, and add value uh, for any client relationship. That's great advice. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, gang, uh, listeners out there, if you want to understand people with money, follow PaulJSullivan.com. Check out his work. Buy his books. You can see here, Paul, we've got a couple copies of your books here. Clutch, his first one was a crowd favorite around our office. The Thin Green Line here. We're really excited to get into this one. Yeah, yeah. Thin Green Line's your new book, Paul. Uh, for those out there who are considering it, widely available now, came out this year. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. What, what do we cover in The Thin Green Line? Sure. It's got the sexiest of all sexy subtitles, the money <laughs> secrets of the super wealthy. Yeah. Um, but what the book is really about at its core are the decisions and choices we all need to make around money to create better behaviors for ourselves. So this could be about investing. It could be about saving. It could be about managing debt. But it's also those really big life decisions. How do we think about educating our kids? You know, is there a risk of entitlement. If we're charitably minded, how do we give away uh, our money to causes that, that matter? How do you think about these big issues? And, you know, the thing green line is this sort of tool I use to sort of allow people to judge whether they're doing a good job or a bad job. And so if you think of the S&P 500 over the past 50 years, starts low and high, some dips along the way. But, I mean, that's the thing green line. The people standing on top of it are the people I call wealthy. And they may be, uh, you know, mega earners. They may be uh, running a private equity fund. Or they could be, you know, lower down on that S&P 500 line, and they could be, uh, you know, a, a teacher uh, who saved well, who has a pension, who has, you know, modest needs. And, of course, you know, the flip side of that are people who are just rich, people rich or poor on the other side. And you can have the person who's completely, you know, over-leveraged. The, the hedge funds are uh, everybody in his community thinks he's really hitting it out of the park but he's living a house of cards, and he's not making those good decisions. He's not exhibiting those good behaviors that are going to allow him to be you know, financially secure, that are going to allow him to have control over his life and, and over money and you know, ultimately do the things he wants. And, and that's what the book is about, getting people to that level where they can make the right choices and, and do what they want in life to, to make them happy. Uh, it sounds, sounds fantastic. Um, and, and, Paul, where can they get this? Uh, where, where's the best place for them to get a copy of The Thin Green Line? Yeah, go go to go to Amazon, uh, right. type it in, and uh, yeah, it, it'll probably arrive in your house in uh, two days. Uh, and you know what? We're going to link it up too. If you're watching via YouTube, um, in the in the the description here, we'll put a link to the Thin Green Line, so um, you can click on that and and go purchase it via Amazon. Paul Sullivan, thank you for joining yes, us today. So it's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. This is fun. All right, and the next question today from Jeffrey. He says, "Are advisors successfully using Twitter to grow their practices?" If so, in what ways? And Stephen, you didn't finish that question here. Question is, uh, and did Boz lose his shaver? So thank you for that, he's, Jeffrey. Uh, he's making fun of your beard. I, I did not, in fact, lose the shaver. <laughs> what people don't realize about having a beard is that it takes more effort to keep up a finely tuned beard. Oh, I'm sure. You got to trim this thing up. I'm I had sure. to trim it up every day. Shaving your face is do actually you a lot easier. Do you seriously trim it every day? Uh, when we do video. Okay. 
right. Got to dress for success, Kevin. Nice. So let's get to the point here. Using Twitter to grow your business. What do you say, Kevin? Um, I say yes. There are some advisors, I'm sure, who are using Twitter to bring in new business, um, but it's very few. I mean, we're looking at the hierarchy of social media for advisors. Number one, without a doubt, LinkedIn. Number two, Facebook. Number three, Twitter. And when you take a look at the research in terms of how advisors are using Twitter, it's as a news source. Uh, yeah, but that's not necessarily the way they should be using it. That's you know? true. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the way people are using it. But think about it in this context, Kevin. In preparation for this question today, I was thinking about, you know, what, what are some lessons we've learned in using LinkedIn to help advisors grow their business that can be directly applied to Twitter? Mm-hmm. So let's think about the introduction. I mean, LinkedIn is a name sourcing medium. Uh, right. From the heavens. I mean, it, it gives you name after name of people linked to your good contacts. Twitter, if you have an active Twitter user as a client or a COI, they're they're replying, they're retweeting, they're interacting with people on the web. That's a way to source names, right? Yeah, no, a great, great point. Same what? thing. So, you know, going to real life, I'd say, hey, Kevin, I, you know, if Kevin's my client, I'm the advisor and I'm looking at your uh, your Twitter and you've been going back and forth with somebody on Twitter, I might say, hey, Kevin, I saw that lively debate you had with uh, with such and such uh, the other day. How, how do you know them? Smart. What's their story? I think it's right? smart. I think it's very smart. What about combining LinkedIn and Twitter? Right. So if I'm prospecting someone on LinkedIn, building a relationship with them, now I'm also following them on Twitter. I can have real-time conversations with Absolutely. them. Absolutely. I mean, as a relationship management tool, you're able to uh, I mean, again, we think about Twitter being a giver. It's not about all of what you're posting. That's right. Even though it's easy now with all the tools that are available to post incessantly, mm-hmm. uh, it's about interacting. So if if I if you're my client and I'm an advisor, it's not about me posting and posting and posting That's so you right. can see everything I'm doing. It's like, hey, what are you posting, my friend? Yeah. How can I interact with you? How can I retweet you? How can I reply to you? Yeah, create a list on Twitter of, of your prospective clients and start engaging with them. Yeah, and that's a great point. If you're if you're on Twitter and you're a little frustrated with it, do consider the list feature. Yes. For kind of cutting through all the crap that's There's on there. There's so much noise on Twitter. Right. Um, another thing in terms of uh, Twitter is maybe using some advanced search filters. Mm. So Twitter has actually a really robust search capabilities that most people don't even know about. So go on Twitter, run a search for people in your area, maybe business owners or whatever it might be. Start following those people, start engaging with those people. Some will follow you back and then eventually you're going to request a conversation. But to your point, Stephen, it's, it's all about engaging with them first. It's not necessarily about, you know, posting and posting and posting. I mean, I think, I think there's, some value in that, but most people just aren't listening enough and aren't engaging enough. You bet. Well, let's shift gears. We got another question to tackle today, Kevin. This one came in via email, by the way. Uh, and if you do have a question, use hashtag Ask Stephen and Kevin, uh, and we're happy to uh, to answer your question via Instagram or via Twitter. You bet. What are the top reasons the affluent fire their financial advisor? Well, we have research on this. We do, in fact. And this is something we've researched with, uh, from what seems like the beginning of time. Yes. Because we want to know. I mean, it, it it smarts a little bit when you lose a client. For yeah. me, for you, for advisors, nobody likes to lose a client. And, and we can run the numbers. You know, you, let's say, for example, if you're a good financial advisor, maybe you lost none. Maybe you lost one or two last year. That's not exactly empirical evidence as to why clients leave. It bothers you. But <laughs> That's we're able a good to take point. we're able yeah. to take that data point from you and from a thousand other advisors every year, exactly. literally over a thousand, and figure out in general who why are they leaving. Uh, let's jump into it, Kevin, because yeah. we've got this. We one have this fancy our- infographic here, we'll show it to you, right? A little infographic. I mean, we do a lot of infographics here, but 
Um, we have it broken down by small market and large market in this particular infographic. And how do we define those, Stephen? You know, and, and, and in general, the reason we wanted to break it down that way in that research project was because there are some differences yes. and we get it often. If I'm in small town America giving a speech, somebody's always going to say, Hey, well, it's a little different around here, Stephen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where am I going to host the intimate event at Subway? You know, like, <laughs> right. That's the only restaurant right. around here. All yeah. right, wise guy. Yeah. Uh, and in large markets, things are different. They're like, yeah, it's a great idea, Stephen, to get in, uh, you know, go to social lunches. But I, don't I live know if in LA. Works. Yeah, it doesn't you know? work in Boston. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. uh, that's why we split it up. We said small market were those under a hundred thousand in population. Large market, those a million or more. Love it. Uh, and there were a lot of differences, by the way, throughout the survey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this one speaks to it. In general, we're not going to go through all the numbers behind these. We'll show you the rank order of why people leave. But in general, the large market investors are more likely to leave their advisor than small market. Yeah. Maybe maybe they feel like they have more options. Maybe they feel like uh, they're in a tight-knit community and there's going to be some stigma be- behind leaving that person. We've had a lot of debate about this, really. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, there's a lot of truth to that. If you're in a, a smaller community and there was a handful of decent advisors, you, you know, it's a different environment yeah. than being in New York or being in Atlanta or anywhere else like that. Yeah. Where you've got a lot of competition. you got to raise your game. Uh, you're like, not the only game in town. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, exactly. Hey, here's number one, breach of trust. Without a doubt, we knew that would be number one. So if I screw you in some way, I, uh, I don't disclose a fee, I uh, tell you I'm going to do something and I don't, I make one too many mistakes. I mean, something that tells you I'm not 100% trustworthy, you're out of here. Yeah, this is a relationship built on trust. When you get rid of trust, I mean, you have no relationship anymore. Uh, poor investment performance, number mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think that surprises any of you. People hold you accountable for performance. That's part of why they're paying you. Uh, it does matter. Doesn't follow through on promises is another big one. Um, and then all these two higher confusing. That's yeah. a big one for the small market too. Uh, it is. Uh, and it's for both. I mean, yeah. th- this industry makes it tremendously difficult to figure out what you're paying. Yeah. And, and it's something we shouldn't shy away from. We should feel if you're a good advisor, it doesn't matter what the fees are for the sake of this conversation here. If you're on the high end or the low end, you should feel really good about what you're delivering for that money. Mm-hmm. So much so that it shouldn't be taboo to talk about it. If you're my client, I'm the advisor, I shouldn't be afraid of bringing it up once a year to say, Kevin, just so we're on the same page, I want to make sure you're completely aware of everything you're paying us. Yeah. Uh, we hope you're getting good value. We feel like we are. Uh, and, and I also want to share with you some of the some of what we're working on on, on your behalf because some of this is done behind the scenes. I love that. By the way, that, I think that language you just rolled out there is, is absolute gold. Uh, but but doing that on a yearly basis because you want to be the one who's broaching that type of conversation. You don't want them asking. So what exactly am I paying? You know, be be on the forefront of that and be proactive about it. They'll, Especially if you're in a firm where where they make it difficult to yes. find that information out, mm-hmm. which is most, by the way. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not following through on promises, number four, and lack of proactive contact being the fifth. Yep. And, and and this is from the affluent investor stating why they would leave their advisor. We know from doing a number of focus groups on the affluent consumer, many of them leave for that number five reason, which is lack of proactive contact. It starts to get in their brain a little bit. When's the last time I've heard from John or Mark or Susan? Yeah, especially if, if their friend's advisor is, you know, doing events and yeah, seeing right. them regularly. It's like, geez, my advisor doesn't even reach out to me. Um, so, I, I, I mean, what's interesting about most of these is that they are within your control. Uh, it, it, well said. Yeah. Well said. So, as we think about this, how do we act on all this uh, in, from today's session, Kevin? Well, the information from Paul Sullivan says, be mindful of a millennial's time. Do meet with them. Broaden the nature of that meeting. Yep. As we talked about Twitter prospecting. Get on board. Learn how to use it. Source names. Interact with your COIs and clients. And lastly here, with loyalty, 
uh, boy, it's within our control. Let's maintain contact. Let's disclose fees. Let's keep those clients on board. You've earned them. And be trustworthy. Yeah, that's a big one. So thanks, thanks for, for joining us. us. Jinx. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>